The following episode deals with issues of sexual violence. Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 235. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Nari Malkazan. Hi, Kip. And I want to thank you for joining me in what is probably going to be the most uncomfortable episode I've ever recorded of this show. And I'm not trying to scare listeners off. I just want to be upfront, as I always am with other topics. But this one is going to be difficult. And while I won't speak for you, Nari, I hope listeners will be patient with me as I try to explore the topic with you, and also as a lot of spaces online can be particularly reactive and emotionally charged, and I believe with good intention, I do hope anyone listening or those who may come to find this episode in whatever fashion they do will consider our statements in the context of all of our statements, because I do suspect, given the topic, Certain sentences could be plucked out or shot full of holes when they are meant with positive intent, curiosity, and compassion. And of course, this topic, given that excessive preamble, is a very interesting TED Talk that you originally introduced me to, and it was recorded in October of 2016 by a pair of individuals, Thordis Elva of Iceland and Tom Stranger of Australia. They were 16 and 18 respectively when they met, in Iceland, as Tom was an exchange student, and the pair go on to describe how, after having dated for a while, on the night of a school dance, Tom brought Thordis home and raped her. And it's a very compelling talk, a very uncomfortable talk, and one that I think asks a great deal of the audience, as perhaps you and I are right now, Nari, but I do believe, as I often have, and for me this TED Talk solidifies this feeling, that most, if not all, of the really uncomfortable questions that human beings are capable of considering, even if they can never answer them, or do so in a satisfactory way, are among the most important questions we can ask, some of the most important rapids and waters to wade through. I'm not saying we don't risk drowning in that metaphor, but I really think, and I would say doubly so, in an era where comfort and convenience are so prized, that we should step outside of them sometimes even in realms that are murky and dark, or realms that threaten to show us murky and dark sides of ourselves. And so, Nari, though I very characteristically so have a ton of things to say, where would you most like to formally begin this discussion? It's interesting that one of the most challenging topics that I have ever come across was also one of the first topics that you and I spoke about in person. Odd how that comes up. But I think I'd like to start from the beginning which is where I was doing a lot of self-work, learning and growing from my own past. And at a certain point, I was ready to hear about other women's experiences with sexual violence because I needed a community. I needed a community that was expressing my own voice and maybe where I feel like I would fit in. So this particular TED Talk wasn't exactly what I expected in that search. I was expecting something to be around women's empowerment, about the kind of societal 
precepts around what was and wasn't acceptable in relationships. I wasn't prepared for a TED Talk that would be discussing not just the woman's perspective, but also the male perspective of a situation that contains sexual violence. Wasn't prepared for the perpetrator's perspective. And I think my initial reaction to the TED Talk was that I turned it off. As soon as Thordis started describing her particular experience, I'd had enough. I was full. I turned it off. I came back to it, listened to the next 30 seconds, maybe a day later, and I turned it off. By the time Tom started speaking in the TED Talk, I turned it off again. And so it went for about a week or 10 days. And even then, I wasn't ready to process the fact that this situation that I feel like the society has been discussing for a good long time now was being presented from more than one perspective, that there wasn't a victim and perpetrator, but potentially there were more than one view in which two people had suffered. And I really appreciate your wording there because it touches on my beliefs surrounding this TED Talk and why it's worthy of the type of discussion you and I are having now. Because to me, it illustrates not just a single means of human violence or aggression or abuse, but touches on really powerful questions of what does it mean to be human and to deny someone humanity? How do we as a society choose to treat people who admit to doing terrible things and who indeed have hurt people in incomprehensible ways? But even as that word occurs to me, I think there are a lot of people out there most of whom female, who would say that they absolutely comprehend the terror and the tragedy and the helplessness of being in Thordis's situation. And so for me, this topic, however uncomfortable it is to work through, brings up a lot of valuable questions such as, can two people, one of whom is certainly a perpetrator, both come away wounded and scarred from an objectively dark situation? You also really valuably used the phrase, expressing your own voice in talking about what this experience is like for other people, for other women. And I'm really glad you use the word voice because the idea of a voice presents another really unpleasant idea running throughout this entire conversation. Are we as an audience or a larger society, this talk has been viewed four million times, able to engage with the Toms of the world to allow them to have a voice without feeling like we're giving them a platform or promoting their ideas or previous clearly cruel behavior. And what has saddened me, as someone who often thinks about what it means to be a journalist, even though I am not one, and what it means to tell stories, is that I firmly believe some of the most important stories are those that are going to make us squirm and shut off the news sometimes, or lash out in anger and shout and cry. Because humanity is not this comfortable thing. It's rarely simple. It's rarely easy. But I do firmly believe it is worthwhile. And I also think, as I hope journalists listening might confirm and clarify, that to be a journalist is not to tell pleasant stories or always stories of heroes, but to confront people who may have behaved in villainous ways and to ask them hard questions. Though even as I say that, the dichotomy of hero and villain, I think, is challenged. And what I love about this talk is that Tom does not at any point say that he isn't guilty. He expresses genuine remorse and talks about how the next morning he felt hollow. And when he began to confront his actions, 
how difficult it was for him to admit that it was rape. I didn't see on that Ted stage someone who was a monster unaware of his actions, but rather a human being who had done a terrible thing and was trying to reconcile and figure out what had happened and why he had behaved that way. And I think for many people listening, as was true for me initially watching, that's difficult and that's uncomfortable. And it's also interesting in discussing voice that Tom didn't demand an audience with Thordis. He did not seek her out after he returned home to Australia, but rather, nine years later, when she was 25 and he was 27, she wrote him a letter, a stream of consciousness in a sense, and saw on that paper words staring back at her that said, I want to find forgiveness, which for me was a really powerful thing to hear her say. And she said that regardless of whether or not he deserved my forgiveness, I deserved peace. And for me, that was incredibly moving and shows a certain courage on her part. I would never disrespect survivors for, I think very reasonably, not wanting to see their perpetrator ever again. That makes complete sense. But she did reach out to him, and he replied. And they then met at the geographic midpoint of Australia and Iceland in South Africa. And that led to discussions. They were very open in confronting what had happened. And they went on to write the book, South of Forgiveness, which has also drawn criticism, but we can come back to that later. It's interesting that you mentioned that Tom didn't feel entitled to a voice on the situation, that Thordis was the one reaching out first, because I don't necessarily feel like he recognized that he had done anything as reprehensible as rape. I do feel, and again, this the emotions that I feel about the situation has, have come full circle. I've started out with anger and resentment and felt a whole range of emotion. And I've come to the fact that I don't think you recognized his misdeed. The emotions of hollowness and shame were there, but he didn't have anything to pin them on. So I partly feel like he didn't recognize his need to have a voice. And so again, to go back to, yes, she reached out and she wanted to find peace in herself and she recognized that she may be able to do that through forgiveness. My initial reaction was he didn't deserve forgiveness. Actions like that are unforgivable. The more I watched the TED Talk, because I've done it more than once, and the more I thought on it, I actually found it so courageous of him to not only speak his truth, which was he committed the act of rape, but to do it together with the woman that he had hurt, with the woman that we as a society view as this helpless victim, to do it from a stage, to do it in front of a four million people wide audience, I think that takes courage. Admitting mistakes takes courage. Admitting having caused someone pain takes courage. And I feel like Maybe that's how peace is found, allowing people to admit their mistakes, though there's still a part of me that feels nothing but anger. And you're certainly not alone in that. Plenty of people have protested his right to even talk. And while the two of them have made many public appearances, that fact has remained controversial, as has the fact that Thordis invited Tom to co-author this book with her and that they would therefore both receive proceeds 
though it should be noted that after protests, which does not absolve him of guilt in my mind, Mr. Stranger did agree to give all of his proceeds from the book to charity, which I think is the right thing to do, and I'm sure some people would say he should never have had any say in the financial success of the book. Another controversy surrounding this entire topic are the words we choose to use. And words, as each of them mentions on stage several times, and particularly moved me as the perpetual English major, have great power. And they are very careful in their word use, which you and I have also been following to an extent. Rather than using the word rapist, they use the word perpetrator, and they go on to explain, in interviews you can find online, and we will include links in this episode, that while there is proper shame and weight tied to the word rapist, the attendant stigma does prevent conversation and does prevent further consideration. Thordis notes how easy it is for someone who has been labeled a rapist to then be considered a monster or inhuman. That led me in reflections I've had on this TED Talk to ask if monster is a word that we use for people we're done considering the types of people that we will intellectually discard because we've figured them out, and we've figured them out to be lesser than and evil, things that I absolutely understand, but I also think, as Tom gets at, the fact that he raped Thordis comes from both his own choice and, indeed, his own agency in doing so, and also societal factors and cultural norms, some of which are probably nonverbal and difficult to disinter, but I do believe in the sincerity of his guilt because he has gone on not only to admit the violation, which for me almost feels like an understatement. I personally believe it's one of, if not the worst thing, you could possibly ever do to another human being. But he's gone on to talk about it and question it. And I think in being a public figure, though he deserves no praise or accolades per se, that he at least deserves recognition and acknowledgement. If it can be neutral, so be it for the fact that he is engaging with this topic and, of course, crucially, his action and role within it. I think the controversy is so understandable in this situation. I think as a society, we have grown a lot, at least in the last 18 or so years that I've been grappling with this subject through personal experience. I feel like we are only just learning to give victims the voice that they've been looking for without making them feel victimized and helpless. So it's totally understandable that people would feel upset and angry about the fact that here you are, the victim finally found her voice, but she's inviting the perpetrator to also bring his, um, his side of the story. But I do think it's important. I think the individual's behavior is dependent not just on the individual himself or herself, but also on the environment. And as a society, we have finally learned how to call out rape. We have finally learned to call it what it is, but we haven't learned what to do with it. We know what to do with violent rape, but we don't know what to do with date rape, with rape that happens within relationships with rape that happens through coercion or manipulation or not necessarily the violent crime that you get shown on television. And I think that kind of nuance requires a discourse that's more than just one-sided. Even though, and I'm, I keep saying this and I'll admit it first, it's challenging for me to admit it 
it's challenging for me to look at Tom and feel empathy because what he did is so reprehensible. And yet, if we don't hear the perpetrator's voice, how can we possibly change the societal constructs that made him feel entitled to an action such as this one? I want to respond to the point you made about depictions of rape and violent rape that we might see in a setting like television. I want to touch on your reference to violent rape and depictions we might see in media like television because Thordis tells us that the events of that night left her with the indelible knowledge that there are 7,200 seconds in two hours. She goes on to say that in the following days and weeks, despite tremendous physical pain and crying, the event didn't fit the definition of rape because of what she had been shown and taught. It's also worth noting, as I know with great pain will resonate with listeners in the wrong way, that she grew up in a world, I think still very much ours, in which girls are taught that they are raped for a reason, and that the suffering that they experienced is something they had supposedly caused, whether their skirt was too short, their smile was too wide, or, as she also notes, and all of these were true, she says, for her, their breath smelled of alcohol. It's interesting that those variables that Thordis mentions come up so early in the TED Talk. My own personal experience, as well as that that was relayed to me by friends, has always been tied to directly, well, what were you wearing? I feel that as women, we are often taught that in order to best protect ourselves from crime such as rape, we need to be covered. We need to not engage with strangers as if somehow our behavior results in rape, as if somehow we are responsible for somebody else's actions. And that resonated with me deeply. And I think that resonates with a lot of women deeply, that the immediate reaction goes to, how did I bring this upon myself? And this chapter in the talk, as they're both in separate states of mind, independently reviewing what happened, is really interesting to me because there's painful similarities in how both of them knew something wrong had happened, but neither of them initially, or at least immediately, found the term that does describe what it is. And I find a further eerie similarity in the fact that so many girls are taught if they are good, they won't be raped. And conversely, that when Tom was grappling with the idea of having raped Thordis, that because he was a good friend and a good brother and a good instructor and that he had good relationships with good people, that all these other parts of his life substantiated his identity as a good person and a good man, that therefore in his mind he could not logically have done this, when the circumstance isn't that simple. I think for a lot of us viewing or listening, that's what's painful, that we'd like to think in all areas of the world as it comes to good and evil, if we believe in these massive monoliths, that one is easy to follow and the other is easy to avoid, that we can live and behave in simple ways that make the world better, when unfortunately I don't think that's the reality we live in. For me, this talk illustrates that profoundly. One of the things I feel strongly about is how he has taken his time to reconcile the sense of being a good person with human failability. I don't even know if it's the right word, but making a mistake 
and having to live with the shame that followed once he's admitted having made the mistake. And that is the part of the talk that made me feel empathy. That was the part of the talk that made me look at Tom as a real human being that transcended the monster versus good person kind of dichotomy and showed me that in all these areas, he was doing what he thought was the right thing. And all of a sudden, he was faced with the fact that he actually did commit a transgression against his own moral values. And I think that's where his courage comes from. Did he do something totally reprehensible? Absolutely. Has he admitted it? Absolutely. He's not excused his behavior. He's not explained his behavior away. And I think that is what's missing from the discourse currently. That is what's missing from the conversation. The voices of the people who not necessarily can explain the behavior, but at least can give a glimpse into the mental state of the behavior of the perpetrator, of the person who was so good. So how did that possibly happen with them? I'm grateful that you use the phrase, explain away the behavior, because a trend I see that concerns me in our era regarding this topic or others is that if an individual explains something, especially something immoral or cruel, they're often seen as excusing it. And I think that flies in the face of what true understanding or empathy actually is, or how these forces operate in connecting us to other people. I think to understand is not the same as sympathizing with or excusing, and I wish that nuance still lived in our society, but I think at the moment it's often invisible or dormant, and I hope in our conversation, or in viewing the TED Talk as I would encourage listeners to do, that they try when possible to see the nuance. And I say that knowing full well that a heartbreaking number of people will view that talk and absolutely relate to one or the other of the two people speaking, and that that is a devastating reality of our world, that this is a treatment of people that people have and continue to perpetrate, and that is inexcusable. But I, like you, am grateful for the fact that it's being discussed, and I hope that is not the end point. And to that, Thordis very eloquently says towards the end of the talk that while one could blame a single individual for having perpetrated this act, and indeed, Tom never denies this, as you and I have said, she also asks, but how will we understand what it is in human societies that produces violence if we refuse to recognize the humanity of those who commit it? And how will we empower survivors if we make them feel less than? And to me right there, as I believe I've said earlier in this conversation, Thordis's use of the term humanity doesn't feel like a privilege, but a burden, something someone has to carry or at the bare minimum work through over the course of their life. And I would come back to my earlier point and concern that when we call people monsters, we say to ourselves on an implicit level, I'm human, therefore I could never do something that terrible to another person. And I hope you're right. But I also think all of us need to reconcile with the fact that we are capable of a great many things. On the moral spectrum, anything from great evil to tremendous good. I think that's the part of the TED Talk that shows me both of their courage. Confronting a person that you've hurt is just as challenging as confronting the person that you have been hurt by. It shows 
willingness to be vulnerable with one another, which sounds like they've had years of time to do so, but also showing vulnerability to the rest of the world. And I feel that our growth as a society depends so deeply on very vulnerably admitting the difficult parts, be it perpetrating a crime, be it being hurt by one, the vulnerability of the knowledge that the only way you will move beyond is when you have this conversation, when you do find forgiveness, when you work together towards a solution. I find the courage in Thordis's part relatable and the courage on Tom's part, something I empathize with and feel for and want to understand. So I don't necessarily feel the forgiveness that she does. I actually feel quite harshly towards him. But inside me, there is a voice that says, if we are to grow beyond the world in which this is a common occurrence, there are both voices that need to be heard. And Thordis, both in this talk and in interviews she's conducted, has used her voice not only to tell this story and her side of it, but to clarify certain things. She says very crucially in the talk that neither of them is prescribing this approach as something that will or could necessarily work for everyone, which I think is really important because healing, although all people who are hurt, in my opinion, deserve it, is not a universal approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and I believe they show great wisdom in acknowledging that. She also acknowledges in one of the interviews, as you and I haven't touched on, the topic of punishment, that while legal action could have been taken to accuse and formally confront Tom, she felt that it wasn't only not feasible, but not reasonable given their circumstance. And I find it interesting because there are circumstances. Many of us would point to Brock Turner in recent years, whose father famously and rather disgustingly referred to his act as 20 minutes of action, which shows an abhorrent lack of understanding for another human being and the woman that his son raped. But in this circumstance, there is a distinction that Tom did feel guilt, although, as you noted, Nari, he didn't have the words. And those words are crucial in acknowledging, as best he could, the full depth of what he actually did. And this TED Talk leads me to then ask, perhaps uncomfortably so, are there not more perpetrators of rape, predominantly men, who, despite their action, do feel regret and would like to, if not atone, as I don't know what right word to use here, confront, consider, reflect upon, and acknowledge, most essentially, what they have done? Is it our belief as a society that all who commit this terrible deed are not only evil for doing so, but oblivious to the true depths of their evil? I have my own opinion of that, but at the end of the day, I don't think we have much of a discussion about what those people actually think and if it's worth asking them questions to understand how they think, that we might, in my optimistic view, prevent the behavior, using their misdeeds as a cultural antidote, if you will, confronting what it is we think and how we don't think about thinking as often as we could. I think it's really important to note that we aren't speaking about violent rape. And so from the perspective of what our society as a whole think of rape, are we actually calling out the reasons for why it happens? 
we talk about rape prevention, we talk about sexual violence prevention on campuses, and oftentimes the education is preventive. These are the ways you act at a party to prevent this happening to you. Do we educate, part of me wants to say children, but do we educate our society as a whole, children and adults, about what it means to respect one another in a way that we don't feel entitlement, be it to their body, their time, their emotions. And I don't think we do it, and I don't think we do it well enough. We often think of criminal action as being violent and something that isn't violent. Well, maybe it wasn't so bad. And I think the hurt that this causes, the baggage that this creates, the lives that this ruins, is so much more far-reaching that we've had the words for. And I think what Thordis and Tom are doing in this TED Talk, whether they are right or wrong to stand on that stage together, they are creating a conversation. They're putting words around actions. They're giving us an opportunity to discuss. My opinions are my own. They're not right. They're not wrong. People may disagree and maybe they should disagree. But the fact that we're having the conversation, to me, that's the important part. I agree with you. And I think conversation, hopefully leading to action or at least reflection, is an essential part. And though I know some will disagree, I am grateful for what I believe the two intend in standing on that stage. One of the last things I'd like to share is a quotation from Tom in an interview with iNews of the United Kingdom in which he says, quote, There's not a detachment from it. There's not a comfort in having this conversation. There's not an ease with which I speak to the pain that I inflicted, nor should there be. He also adds, I've just owned that and I want to speak very plainly to my actions and the hurt that I caused. I also recognize that I'm not going to be able to contribute to the telling of our story if I'm not in a place where I can see it as a part of myself and not all of who I am which I find really essential because it does complicate our ideas of why people do terrible things. I think for many of us, terrible people are terrible in their entirety, and therefore that explains one or several actions that fall under that category. But human beings are myriad emotions and impulses and feelings, and as you wisely said earlier, many of those are cultural and environmental factors that we would do well to think about and reflect on. Stranger also says that the word rapist, for as accurate as it is, can also prevent an analysis of behavior. In my own terms, it is a period and not a comma. We stop there, we convict, we send people away, we don't talk to them. And I understand why I am not advocating for excuse or forgiveness per se, but I do think there are many questions to be asked and a conversation to be had. And Nari, on that note, after having listened to this episode, what points, ideas, or thoughts would you like listeners to consider after listening to our conversation? I think in situations like this, it's easy to have the answer ready. It's easy to see who the victim and who the perpetrator is. It's easy to come away with certainty. And to me, the point of the TED Talk wasn't to create answers. It was to raise more questions. I think the best thing listeners can do is to have the discourse, to maybe for a challenging minute put themselves in position in which maybe they could have made a mistake and in which maybe they could have hurt someone and done something that went so against their moral code. 
maybe not something as grave as rape, but maybe a lie that shaped a relationship, maybe a moment of dishonesty. And then recognize that humans have the opportunity to learn and grow, and the society has the opportunity to learn and grow, but only through admitting the wrongs and accepting responsibility. I appreciate your use of the word discourse and where typically with most topics, I would encourage listeners to see if in sensitivity and compassion, they could have conversations with those around them. This is a topic that I know could trigger incredibly painful and terrifying memories for some people. And so while I would encourage listeners to use their best judgment, if they feel they can have those conversations, I still think it's similarly valuable to take time to yourself and reflect Thordis very astutely says that she wishes we would stop thinking of rape as a women's issue because it does involve perpetrators and people. And I agree with her and would say that I find any reflection on the topic powerful and meaningful. And to those who didn't listen, you wouldn't know that I'm saying this, but I respect your choice in doing so. And also to those who have listened, I hope that something either of us has said has left you with value or perspective or questions, however cumbersome or difficult, but most importantly, Nari, for your patience and your courage, and of course, your friendship that allowed us to talk about this in the first place, as well as your time today. Thank you. I am so very thankful for the safety that you provide to discuss difficult topics. Thank you, Kip. I'm very honored to hear you say it. And I'll simply conclude this episode by saying that as Thordis and Tom establish what I find to be a healthy precedent of conversation and self-interrogation and curiosity, this is not only an episode that we want to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between, but one that I really think needs it, that I don't want few voices to be discussing this. I would love all voices and thoughts to be engaged in this topic because it does affect and hurt so many. And for your time and consideration in listening to this episode, as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.